Welcome back to Miss McIntosh, my darling, the commentary. Uh, we are on chapter 60. Chapter 60 is an extremely short chapter, so we're going to be here for a very short time. It is really cold outside, so I cannot do this outside um, like I usually do. So I have a family. I have a dog and a kitten. And uh, they play. So there's just going to be noise. I just got to deal with it. Um, and, um, I started work on volume three and I have a whole two parts done, like, which amounts to like about 20 pages or something. So I have two parts that are done, um, and a whole lot more to do, but I did some rearranging and looking at it, uh, yesterday. And right now I'm working on the essays and the interviews. I found another interview that I don't believe I've read before. Uh, Roy Newquist's Conversations. Um, so I'm looking forward to reading that. I found it today's uh, because of uh, reading through another interview. So I'm looking forward to reading that today and seeing uh, what I can pull out from that to add to that section. Um, I, oh, so in going back over and reading the interviews, I did find out, that, so this is not a spoiler, that Miss, according to Margaret Young, Miss McIntosh is dead. So when she walks into the water, she, I, stop. No, no, I don't, no, go play. Someplace else. Um. No. I have a cat, indoor cat that I adore, a stray that we picked out, picked up, and he was a kitten, kitten. He's tiny. He's, a, he's, I was the runt or what, but he is the smallest cat I've ever seen. I adore him, but he's also trouble right now. Okay, so um, in the interview, I think this was the art of fiction interview with Charles Ruas. And um, she definitively says that Miss McIntosh died. She wore nothing but her mended black gloves uh, when she walked into the water, leaving everything else on the shore. Um, and she did model the death manner of death after Virginia Woolf. So, so yes, that's the official version according to Young. But I still like to think that something else happened. She just transformed herself. Anyways, but um, uh, so I'm rereading that stuff, and, and it's good. It's uh, There's just so much. I mean, it takes forever in these rereadings to try and get all the information in there. So chapter 60, it's only five paragraphs. Uh, characterless is Mr. Spitzer. I think it's one of the shortest chapters in the book. Synopsis, Mr. Spitzer ponders how he knows what Perone knows if he is Joaquin. He answers the calls of wild animals who then appear before him. There is a beautiful description of wild ducks that drown everything else out. Mr. Spitzer thinks he doesn't need to write his elegy anymore. The wild duck calls can be his elegy. I do, I, I do remember that being really powerful and beautiful. Uh, paragraph one. Mr. Spitzer believed he was a musician since he always had a germinal music in his head, a meaning of the music even when he had forgotten the score or had never known it and wondered why should he be distracted by a great many mundane matters such as gambling, that with which he was more and more obsessed, though always in this illegaic mood. 
and also horse races and dice games. If he was a gambler, not a musician, then his music would be the music of the track. Two, Mr. Spitzer did not read newspapers or keep up to date on current affairs, as he had been a very busy man and obsessed by a thousand conflicting interests, which were really no concern of his, had never read the obituary columns listing himself as one who had gone over to that death which levels all. He wondered why should the gambler whistle like Mozart in the silent hours? Why did he think he was an authority on anything musical? Three, Mr. Spitzer thought he would know more about a moose than music or gambling. He practiced making loud moose calls while he walked through the city, never expecting an answering call. One day, to his absolute horror, to his grand astonishment there in that great city, he had heard the answering call of the moose. For the moose, having heard him and having believed that he was the moose calling to his love, had answered in return. And then, as when the auditory hallucination ushers in the visual, he saw the huge purple moose walking through traffic. Ever since that episode, he had only whispered while out walking. He wondered why he knew the principles of musical composition if he was a gambler. He heard now like the music of the world accompanying him through the long reaches of the silence, through heavens of imagined sound, imagined space. He remarks that Perrault knew nothing about music. The music like a path dividing sound from chaos, sound being an intellectual thing, sound moving like the human spirit through heavens of imagined silence. Perrault knew nothing about silence. Perone, if he had been a living gambler had, and not a dead gambler, if he had lived until now, would know about animal calls like ducks and moose. 4. Mr. Spitzer thought he was a sad musician, so how would he know how to make animal calls like the moose and duck? His brother Perone would have known how to make these sounds. Viola de gamba or viol de gamba is of the same family as the violin. And last paragraph. 5. Mr. Spitzer thought he was absent-minded because he was troubled by so many tremulous thoughts. He could not finish his music and had forgotten many types of music, so that he was tempestuous beneath the calmest surface, and even when silent, moving on and on, most agitated when he seemed calmest, most distracted when he seemed collected. When he heard the ducks calling, he answered in a whisper. One day, while out walking, he heard a duck call and forgot to whisper, and instead called out and answered by a duck, and was answered. The ducks came closer to him, making an almost hysterical noise which he had for, at first mistaken for the traffic, and he had stepped aside afraid they would knock him down. Locomobile, circa 1912, may refer to the Locomobile Company of America, which was one of the earliest manufacturers of cars before the assembly line. He had been crossing the street when this occurred, but there had been, instead of old autos hurtling on and on in this congested city, a sudden rush of wings passing him, passing him, no doubt, for hours, almost angelic wings, he thought now, and of an enormous size, wingtips spreading from cloud to shivering cloud, the most beautiful wild ducks he had ever seen or had never seen, flying ahead of him as if through great clouds so that he had hardly known which level it was and had been afraid to move lest they should hurtle against him, though in that case the danger to them would probably have been greater than the danger to him. He thought they had, they, he thought they passed through him. For several days, weeks, years, or were they only moments, his mind emptied of all other sound. He had been accompanied wherever he went by these beautiful ducks, so that he thought it was not necessary to write his elegy, because his elegy was these duck calls. And that is it. Why do I have a funerary boat? Huh. Okay, I have a reference in here for the Egyptian funerary boat. 
Wait, what is this? For some reason, I have a ton of references that I don't talk about. That doesn't doesn't show up in the paragraph by paragraph summary, huh? Oh well. I wonder if I. Let me see. Yeah, because I talk about the frogs in the next one. Chapter six. Chapter sixty-one is too long. Um, no, I got stuff there too. Oh, I think I, uh, I know what I did. Okay. Something got copied and pasted twice. All right, I can know. I can go back and fix that. All right, that's it. This is a short one. Thank you for listening. As far as I can tell, I as far as I can tell, um, it's going to be cold, so I'm going to be inside. Um, we'll see how it goes, but basically there's just going to be noise. Background noise and maybe some people coming and going. Um, all right. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.